What's up, everyone? It's Shane Larson from the Game Time Guru Podcast. You guys know that sports can teach you a lot of life lessons. There's a lot of parallels between sports and life. And today, we're going to talk to an individual who knows all about facing adversity and how to face that adversity head on to make something better of yourself, not only as an athlete, but as a human being. The guy faced so much adversity, but we're going to be talking about you know sports, competition from state to state. We're going to be talking about the adversity that he faced when he was in college. He went the junior college route. Uh, had a very unique experience going through the college realm, even got a taste of the professional realm, and now he's training other athletes to be better, not only as athletes, but again, as human beings. He's using all of his experience, all of his knowledge to pour back into other individuals. You do not want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. We're going four years strong. We're almost at the four and a half year mark, uh, hitting over 64,000 downloads, 90 different countries. We appreciate everybody who's tuned into the show since we started it back in 2017. Massive shout out to the sponsors of the show, 208 Printing. They are the title sponsor. If you guys have any anything, any printing needs, anything for your teams, your brands, businesses, whatever, my guys over at 208 Printing can get you guys taken care of. Go to madeby208.com, check them out. And if you guys haven't followed me on Instagram or Twitter, Please do so. Follow me on my social channels. I love to interact with the with the listeners and anybody who's a sports fan because that's what we do. We talk sports and we talk about how sports can help you in life and the, the parallels between sports, business, life, and so forth. So come follow me on my social channels and we'll uh, we'll chat it up, guys. Today, super special episode, especially for those around here in the Treasure Valley who know this individual. Um, this is going to be a really cool one, but it's not even just for those in the Treasure Valley. This man's been around a little bit. He knows that he's been playing ball for a while and a lot of different areas around the country, and he understands the game. Um, and now he's helping other athletes, too. His name is Keyshawn Liggins, and we're going to get to know his story. So, Keyshawn, thanks so much for joining the show. What's up, everybody? This is Coach Keyshawn over at Adversity Athletes. I'm very excited to be a part of this podcast. I'm something I've looked forward to doing for a very long time, and um, I'm excited to share my story with y'all. Absolutely, brother. We're excited to have you, man. So, so Keyshawn, we're going to go back in time real quick. Um, you know, when when I was looking, this is probably a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, you had a a profile when you were in high school. There was a little um, scouting profile, if you will, it was a page to kind of see like what your your profile breakdown was. And you know, on there, you mentioned all the sports that you played. So it looks like you grew up uh, as a multi sport athlete. Can we talk about that a little bit? Like all the sports you competed in, even from a young age. And I kind of want to talk about multi sport athletes for a second as well. So what what sports did you compete in? So I played soccer, I played football, baseball, ran track, basketball, obviously. Um, even before that, I did. I used to race dirt bikes. Um, I used to ride horse. I used to do it all. So um, ride, whoa, ride horse? Wait, wait. Yeah, ride horses. I used to rope things. Yeah, I used to do I used to do everything. So Okay, yeah, yeah. you literally did everything. Okay, so we're going to <laughs> yeah. the horse riding realm. Okay, that's that's yep. something I didn't know. Okay. So it's always competition's been in your blood and your DNA. Like, is this something that you've had family members, I guess, parents, uncles, aunts, whatever, or even cousins, brothers, sisters? I don't know. Like, is this something that has been normal in your family? Yeah. Uh well, my mom, she played college volleyball and she uh did basketball and did everything when she was in high school. My dad was a professional boxer, so I was actually boxing was the first sport that I was doing. Uh, but I just didn't, I didn't like, I don't like hurting people. I don't like helping people. So um, it was something that just wasn't for me. And so I, d- I decided to go another route. And so, yeah, I've been doing between competition. I've been, obviously I have an older sister. I have, I'm one of nine. So um, there's a lot of us. I have two stepsisters, two stepbrothers, one full sister, and then three half sisters. And then there's me. So shoot, one of eight, one of nine. There's a lot of us. So um, competition has been, um, big real big so um and then my full sister has been my she's my favorite athlete of all time so i've always just kind of was chasing her and so whatever she did i did and she kind of she led the way for me as far as athletics and she was always very successful so i was just trying to chase her greatness 
That's crazy. Okay. First off, let's unpack that. Boxing, that's one of my my main loves. I, I fought for Golden Gloves for three years. Love love the sport. Uh, I totally understand your point, though, of like not wanting to hurt people. We want to help people. Um, I also didn't like getting smashed in the face anymore. My wife won't yeah. do that. Like, that's never yeah. fun either. Um, you know, it's just part of the game, but it, it, it's not fun. But um, that's really cool to hear. Like, you've got one of nine. Holy cow. Okay, so you've got a lot of family influence around you as well. I think that's super, super cool. Where did the height come from? Which, which side of the family is the height from, man? Because you're not short in stature, oh, yeah. that's for sure. I'm not sure. My dad was 5'10", my mom's 5'7", my tallest uncle is 6'2", and I'm 6'5". So I, it just come from me, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a blessing from the man above right there. Okay, straight yep, through. Okay, yep. cool, cool. Awesome, man. So talk about where you grew up, too, because I want to talk about this. Um, the, the It looks like you kind of you went from Idaho. You, I mean, you were going around to different places when Everywhere. you were growing up. So talk about that, like the difference in, in locations, and then we're going to talk about difference in competition in those locations. Okay. Uh, well, I started off here. I was in, I was born in Boise and then I stayed in Meridian for a little bit. And then I went from Meridian to star. I went to star for kindergarten and um, a couple, or maybe not kindergarten, first grade, I think. And then I went to, uh, I went to Middleton. I was in Middleton from third grade all the way till fifth. And then I moved away to New Mexico, New Mexico. I was there from sixth, seventh, and then I moved to Texas for my eighth grade year, ninth grade, 10th grade. I moved the end of 10th grade to Arizona for my last part of 10th, my 11th. At the end of my 11th, I moved back to Idaho, back to Middleton for my senior year, for the end of my 11th and then my senior year. And then I went to California for my first year of college, Washington for my second, Idaho State for my third, which is in Pocatello. And then I went to Edinburgh University in Pennsylvania um, my last year. And then I came back after I was done. Well, then I went to Portland to train. Then I went to uh, Grand Rapids where I played in the NBA G League. And then I came back and then I went to Idaho State to finish my degree. And then I now I live in Boise. So crying out loud, man. So you literally have gone everywhere. This is crazy. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna unpack this a little bit. From for those who are listening that aren't from Idaho, Star is a it's a smaller town right outside here in the Treasure Valley. We'll just call it the, the surrounding yeah. areas of Boise. Uh Star is a smaller town. Uh Middleton as well, but Middleton has grown immensely. So it's actually like yeah. quite large almost like meridian sort of right outside of boise we're all within about 30 minutes of boise if you really if just for anyone for perspective um so i want to ask you then Keyshawn, um going from new mexico like so from idaho to new mexico but mainly the jump from like new mexico to texas to arizona i want to talk about competition and sports in those three locations because that's when you were starting to get into the middle school slash high school realm yeah um so what did you notice where what was the competition like in each of those states and how did they compare to one another uh, I would say in New Mexico, it was more about, it was like the gritty, the gritty kind of kids and, uh, and athletes, they were more, you know, rough around the edges. It was a little bit different there. Um, the skill level was a lot higher than out here, but not, it wasn't too far away from here. But then when I took that jump to Texas is when it all changed. It was way more physical. The guys were bigger. Um, the, the speed of the game was a lot faster. Um, everything was more, uh, I guess you was not forced, but it was a lot faster. It was coming at you faster as far as the athletics go from I played football in Texas, baseball in Texas, ran track. And then I did uh, basketball and each sport was different how it was um, presented. Like football out there is like a religion. Like it's like something that the whole town gets up for. You got pep rallies every Friday before the game. You got, you know, your homecoming parade is a whole week event for homecoming. So your anticipation up to the games and, and stuff like that is a lot bigger. It's more hyped around it. Um, to get like my first year, I was a, a freshman on varsity for us to get into the playoffs, into the state playoffs. You got to go through winning your district. Then you go to by district. Then you go to area regional final. Then you go to area uh, semifinal. Then you go to area finals. Then you go to state uh, semifinals. Then you go to the state finals and then the state champ, you know, the state championship. So you got to go through like eight to 10 rounds before you even get to the state, you know, to the state championship. So, and you're playing not only, your district, you're playing then, a, you know, the districts around then the areas around and then you're playing and it just keeps breaking down until they finally get to. So you're playing just your playoffs. If you make it to the end, you're probably playing around 35, 40 games just to get to the state championship to compete at that level. So um, the awesome. talent there is way different. It's a lot harder. Um, they train they train and how they teach their kids is a lot different, um, a lot more honest. I'll say that a lot more uh, harsh truths out there than out here. Um, and then just the reality of, of the athleticism, you got 13 and 14 year old kids doing windmill dunks. So, um, 
you know, and there's guys who are 6'10 at 13 years old. It's a lot different. And then that competition moving to Arizona, like that was the first time at my school in Texas was good. I was at a 1A school. So we only had 186 kids. Oh, wow. But yet still to this day, that school had the best athletes that I've had at any of my schools. And it was a small school I went to. So um, just that in itself had a lot, a lot of different athletes. When I moved to Arizona was the first time I actually played with height. I had a 6'10 center, 6'7 small four, dudes just throwing alley-oops when I first get there. And that was, you know, that was a little different for me coming from a small school and then coming to a 4A school in Arizona that has, you know, 2,000 kids. You don't you don't get to meet everybody. Like at my school, you knew everybody, anybody and everybody. So um, it was just a little different. But Arizona was probably, I would say, more – it had more of like the media standpoint because where I was at in Texas, I was in West Texas. So really football was out there, but basketball was just on the rise. It wasn't like Dallas and in Houston and those places where it's more exposure to that. But football wise, it was huge. Um, in Arizona, there was exposure for everything, football, basketball, baseball, the diversity there was a lot more spread out. Um, the, the skill level was higher there. Um, you could tell that kids weren't just athletes, like kids actually worked on their game and stuff like that. So um, between those three, you know, I would say Texas was the best athletes as far as just physical, raw potential, like raw talent. Uh, but Arizona had the kids that, you know, had trainers and stuff like that. So um, they got to get their skills a little bit further. It's crazy. It's just cool to hear it. And, and I hope those who are listening here um, from Idaho specifically too, here in this area, we have a like we've got we're, we're growing. We're, we're getting better. We're improving in the athletics realm. Like we're going to talk to Keyshawn a little bit about how he's helping in that as well. But like we have a ways to go and it's good to see that because you see the differences across the country and we want our young athletes to be able to get there, but there is some improvement that needs to be made. When you mentioned exposure in Arizona, what kind of media exposure are you referring to? Like how did they get the, the exposure out there? Are we talking about news outlets where they're just different social media outlets? How, how are they getting yeah. exposure for these athletes? Just the social media uh, aspect of it, just people posting, having more people come to games, you know, balls life, which is a big, um, highlight channel that was it was uh, originally a website and then it became you know all these accounts now you got all you know balls life southwest balls life south you got all these balls life things which is just this big platform that um, makes highlight tapes for these kids out there was a big thing and then the tournaments were a sponsored events so you had college coaches come in you had all different types of media outlets between balls life hoop mixtape um, some of the smaller up and coming stuff uh, that was shooting out there so um, it just like you're your way to get noticed was a lot easier because there was so much more footage on you. So you could put out, say that you went and played a game in an auxiliary gym where the coaches weren't at, there would be, you know, three or four guys recording the game, cutting and, and pacing and putting clips together for these kids individually and then posting them on YouTube, you know, and then, you know, their chances of going viral from people seeing them on their site was a lot bigger because of their following. So that exposure in that sense was a lot bigger. There's guys going specifically going to the games to promote these kids. Not only are they promoting their brands from whatever they call themselves, like Ball's Life, they're also promoting these athletes that now are supporting their brands, wearing their gear, stuff like that. So the exposure part of that is just literally putting out on YouTube, social media accounts, you know, Instagram, Twitter, uh, um, YouTube, and and it's just then it just goes out. You know, and people love to repost and share, especially if it's a video of them. So. You know, they're not only expanding their brand by going and doing these things, but also promoting these kids. So your your opportunity to get looked at is a lot higher than like out here. We just, you know, with EBC now doing what it's doing, that has done huge things for the kids out here to get exposure. People know, you know, more about the athletes. Like now I know about the 1A kids, you know, from the kids from Lapaway High School, um, those guys. And then like even kids out east or, or, or down further down south. Uh, you know, I know a kid that now goes to Thunder Ridge that I didn't know before. So it's like I know about kids all over the place as opposed to, you know, what I knew before, which was just the SIC kids out there. It's like, you know, about everybody from the east, west, north, south. There's people that are getting exposure everywhere and everybody's playing in these big tournaments in Phoenix. So your your opportunity to get looked at is huge. And then you got teams from other places flying in doing the same thing. So you might get a coach might be watching this highlight tape for this kid and they see you get a steal or something. And then, they you know, you get their eye. Now they're watching you. So just from those standpoints. Man, I, I love to hear that. I, I got to give a shout out. You just mentioned EBC. Coach AJ over at EBC, he's changed the game, in my opinion, here in Idaho. Yeah. I've started following him before I was you know, working alongside him with, with some of our high school uh, media coverage. 
I was following him as a fan because I was just like you, Keyshawn. I was listening. I was watching these guys. I'm like, oh, dude, I know dudes from Lake City. I know these. Like, I'm like, I would never know these guys. I mean, you hear about them sometimes, but typically you've got like a couple of streaming sites that will stream some games for you, some audio, you know, broadcasts or or video broadcasts, and then you've got a couple newspapers where you have to pay the subscription to to get onto those anyways to like try to yeah. find coverage. So it's like it's just not as accessible when you got social media. Um, and a lot of these kids too, even younger people out that are like putting together like these little highlight clips on social media, shout out Ryan media X here in, in Meridian. And, and there's yeah. a couple others out there too. I'm like, they're super talented and they're out there and it's a click of a button. It's right at your fingertips and you can share it just like you said, and it's going out. So I, I love how EBC's changed the game. And a lot of these content yeah. creators out there are starting to change it in Idaho, because like you yeah. said, Arizona, they're ahead of the game with that already. So now we got to get there. This is, this is where we're yeah. behind. Um, so Keyshawn, you did mention you. You uh, played multiple sports, okay? I mm-hmm. have a question. I've had uh, conversations with other people on this show bef- uh, regarding multi-sport athletes, like, and whether or not you feel it's a good thing for kids, or if you want to focus in on one sport because club sports are so prevalent now, like club basketball, yeah. which I'm coaching, and you see that nowadays. Soccer's yeah. the same way they got club soccer, and it almost forces you to play one sport. I'm curious your thoughts, having been in a multi-sport athlete, and then obviously seeing massive success at the basketball uh, basketball realm. Uh, what your thoughts are on that? Uh, well, it, it depends on what age group that you're in. So right now I usually tell like my middle school kids uh, from sixth and seventh, those kids to play multiple sports, sometimes eighth grade, depending on how well, how good you are um, at each individual sport. Um, I do know that some coaches do like multi-sport athletes. But one thing is that I would really have people consider if you are not up to a certain level at the sport that you want to focus on in the end, then it takes away time from you working out with say like a trainer or getting, you know, your strength and conditioning. So depending on what you're trying to do, like there's some kids who are already determined to, you know, play basketball. If that's what you're doing and you just want to play to hang out with your friends and you don't really care about it as much, don't waste your time doing that. But if you want to sit there and and it's something that you could see yourself, you know, potentially going into college or, or you want to gain that experience by all means. But to be real with you, honestly, with how club is out here, club is growing tremendously. But we want these club teams to start, you know, outsourcing and playing outside the state so they can really see the level of competition because winning the same tournament over and over again at the same place, you're doing the same thing. It's repetitive. You're not seeing the town up there and, and your confidence comes through beating the same people. You want to beat these higher level people in these different places. So now your confidence isn't just in one place. You have it somewhere else. So if you're trying to play a lot of sports and like say that you're good at like you're a football, basketball guy, if you're not. If you're focused more on one than the other, then it's kind of difficult because there's other kids that are just focused on that one. So it's like depending on where your skill level at is at and, and what you're trying to do with that sport, it depends. It varies. Everybody's situation is different. If you're a stud at both, like, like there's kids like Austin Bolt who was a stud at basketball and he was a stud at football, kids like that, those guys can do multiple things because they're already he's primarily a football guy, but he's given a sliver of time to his basketball, but he's nothing's taken away from that football, which is his main priority. You know what I mean? Like me, it was like I played these other sports until really until my sophomore year of high school, because I understood that I could have done I could have excelled in football. I could have excelled. I won't say baseball. Maybe if I would have gave it a lot more time. But football, I could have for sure excelled in basketball. I excelled in Uh, even track. I could have really excelled in if I really put my mind to it. But I knew where my heart was at and I knew what was going to get me the furthest and what I, I was passionate about. And so since my passion was basketball, I focused on basketball. If your passion is on basketball and you're going to give 90% of your time or 50% of your time to football, you're not chasing your passion. And my what I preach is chase your passion, not what everybody else is doing. So totally. it, 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 it varies, really. Um, I think it's a good thing to play multi, uh, multiple sports just so you can see the like football, physicality, uh, uh, baseball. You're learning more technique and stuff like that. Um, and it shows your overall raw athleticism. But if you're trying to go to college in one sport and you already have that picked out, you know, say eighth grade, ninth grade, I would say hone in on that sport so that you can give your best effort. You know, because if you if you are, you know, one foot in, one foot out, you're not going to get the most out of it. Totally. And I think a lot of it comes down to like self-evaluation. You got to be honest with yourself. And you've also got to yeah. have coaches that will be honest with you as well. Like, hey, you know, if, if you want to focus here, like this is what we've got to do. Like, and and you're not there yet. So you need to be able to like have some extra time to maybe put in with the trainers and, and do your strength mm-hmm. conditioning, like you just mentioned. And, and that's, it's tough with kids. Um, but you know, if you're an athlete, you face adversity, you face, 
uh, reality sometimes. And that's yeah. where it's important to have a self-evaluation, understand where you're at and where you need to be and what it's going to take to get there and then put in the work. Um, you know, Keyshawn, as you got done with high school, you mentioned a couple of the colleges, different places that you played. I, I want to first ask you, you know, going from the high school realm, you'd already experienced sports in different states. So you kind of already understood the differences in competition, but from high school up to college, you always hear, you know, and then we'll talk about the next level too of the G League, but you you always hear about people talking about like the speed of the game. There's a couple of differences, but one of them is the speed of the game. Uh, but what was the main difference in transition for you going from high school? You know, you, you, you finish up your high school career at Middleton High, you go into the collegiate realm. Uh, what was the biggest transition piece for you there? Was it the actual athlete, like athletic side of things, or was it the student athlete type of things where you got to do academics as well? Um, I would say the biggest jump, it's it's actually there's two things that I would say in a mix of from I'll talk about the academic academic standpoint first, because I feel like that's the most important. Um, you learn how to be an adult when you go to college, if you go away from home, because you don't have like my mom, how I learned was I went to California, Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo, California. My mom dropped me off at the beach and was like and then she pulled off and she said, uh, I'm like, where are you going? She said, well, we're going back to Boise um okay so what do i do now it's time to be a man so as like i had to figure out on my own how to then get to point a to point b how to get back to my to my dorms and to then figure out how to enroll in the classes and get my schedule right show up on time so the biggest thing is is learning that time management component because now you have your academics you make your own schedule it's not like high school where you're going from you know, eight o'clock or, or, or seven or whatever time it is until three o'clock or four o'clock, you're going, you might have two classes a day and not have class on Tuesday, or you might have class Monday through Thursday and have your Fridays free and nobody's telling you, oh, you need to go to class or you need to do this assignment or you need to do this. It's on yourself. So the biggest jump is one, taking your academics and putting them at the very first part of your priorities. So um, for me, it was, okay, I got to California. Now I figured out where I live at. Now I figured out how to get to class. Okay, now I got to go get the books for class. Mm -hmm. Now I got the books. Okay, now I got to put an hour away to study. After I get done with practice, I got to put, you know, an hour to do this project or, or type this essay and stuff like that. Because you want to hold yourself to the highest standard. When I went to junior college, so in order to move on from junior college or even get some playing time, you got to have good grades. And you want to be one of those guys on the academic list. You want to be on the honor rolls. You want to have those things because it looks very um, appealing to the, the bigger schools when you're trying to you know, move on after you go from junior college. So um, just learning how to get your schoolwork done and making sure that you're attending your classes. Like me, I sat in the front row of all my classes. All I went to school for five years. So all five years I was in the front um, because I wanted to make sure that I held myself to the highest standard. And if I was in the back messing around or I wasn't you know, paying attention to my, my schoolwork, chances are I wasn't going to have good grades and I wasn't going to be able to play. So the main reason why I was there, which was to compete and play, I wouldn't be able to do. So um, I put my grades at the uh, at the forefront of what I did. So that was the, one of the biggest things was making sure that you designate time for your schoolwork specifically with no distractions. Um, and, and then from a basketball standpoint, I would definitely say coming from Idaho where there's no shot clock, going to college where there's a shot clock, that speed of the game is definitely uh, is, is different. When you get 30 seconds to shoot it, um, it's a lot different. And there's no what what kind of bothers me about Idaho is a lot of these teams and these schools are teaching these kids basketball at such a slow level. It's not old school anymore. You can't run the same flex play 15 times and get that wide open look because there's, you know, there's no shot clock. You got 30 seconds. And really, honestly, you get about 25 seconds realistically, because if somebody gets the ball with five to seven seconds in their hand, they're probably going to shoot it on an isolation play. So you know, you have your set to run. If it if those options aren't there, you got to have somebody that can create off the dribble and, and get a shot. So uh, the game has changed. I think that's one thing that Idaho has to really uh, take a stance on is putting that shot clock so we can quit seeing the stall ball. There's no reason why teams are scoring 20 and 30 points in state semifinal games and state final games. And, and, and that's the representation of basketball from Idaho. On top of that's what we're, we're now displaying for people to see so they don't think our kids can play. It's the same. It's a problem that I ran into when I first got to California. They were telling me, like, you got to speed up. You got to speed up. You got to push the ball. You got to be in better shape. You got to be ready to go and know 15 plays for this, these quick hitters, because if not, you know, you're not going to be able to play. In my school where I went, we had we had close to 70 plays that you got to you got to know all of them like the back of your hand. And, and it's a quick hitter. You're looking for one option and one option only because you got that 30 seconds, 25 seconds to get that shot up. So um, the speed of the game is for sure. Uh, a lot different in the physicality out here. Um, it's a lot different. The more athletic players I feel like are at a disadvantage because of how often they call charges. 
if you take um, a drive towards the basket and get in the air and then somebody slides underneath you and screams, they're going to give you a charge here. And over there, it's not that's not the play. That's not what they're calling. So um, the athleticism is definitely a lot different here. You got, you know, maybe five to 10 kids that are dunking a ball in college. You got everybody on the rosters dunking a ball. And then you got guys who are doing, you know, windmills in the half court and 360s, you know, on a fast break. So once you see that and you haven't seen that out here, it's a totally different thing to see the athleticism. There are guys like there's guys I played that were five. A guy named Ladarius Chester, he was five, eight, five, nine. In the warmups, he's going between the legs reverse. And then he got a fast break in the game and windmilled it with his head above the rim at five, eight, five, nine. Yeah, you're you know, not seeing so. that here. You're not seeing that too often here, no. I should say. I mean, yeah. we do have some athletes that are getting around here. We're getting better. Uh, it's growing. Yeah. There's a lot more athletes than there was when I was in high school and you know, I graduated in yeah. 06. But, um, I mean, it is, it's a lot better than it was, but we have a long way to go. I love that you pointed out yeah. a couple of things I want to touch base on. One, the academic side of things. When I had Coach Jason Brown and Coach Davern Williams, they were from Netflix's Last Chance U seasons one and two, and then the other one was seasons three and four. I had them both on the show. Davern Williams from East Mississippi Community College, he once said, it's all about books and ball when he was in the junior college level. He like, books and ball, like you're going there, you got to study first, and then you got to go. And, and he kind of referenced some of the things that you just said there. And the same thing with Jason Brown was like, sit in front of the classes. He was at Independence Community College in Kansas. He's known, I mean, mm -hmm. if anybody's watched Netflix, Last Chance U, he's, uh, he's the crazy one. But um, <clears throat> he was saying, you got to sit in front of the classes. You got to take that stuff seriously because the other schools aren't going to look for you at that point. And when you were referencing sitting in the front of your classes, it's those simple habits like that that set the foundation for the rest of your life. So any young athlete that yeah. might be listening to this or parents who might be listening to this, pay attention to that right there. The other thing yeah. is the shot clock. Thank you for talking about that because we've referenced that multiple times, not only on my platform, like on the show, I've had a whole entire episode about just implementing shot clocks into Idaho and the costs and so forth and what the arguments are for and against it. Um, main, the only ones against it, Keyshawn, that we've heard from those sources that are at these smaller schools is the fact that it, that it costs to run it, um, that you're going to have to implement those shot clocks. You're going to have to install them and then pay somebody to run them. But it's fine for the 5A and 4A schools. They claim to say that those 1A and 2A schools that aren't private schools that are, you know, really, really small schools that don't have a ton of money flowing through, that it's very difficult for them to do that. I, I disagree, but they do say the, I, the IHSAA said that if you have it for one division, you got to have it for all because it's, everybody runs off the same exact rule system. My point is, is I think that you're just setting these, you got to find a way to do it because you're setting these kids up to have a struggle transition going to the next level if they intend on going to the next level. And that's a major piece to it. So just hearing you say yeah. that really, really helps me because I, I want all these coaches to hear that. It's like, if, if you can find a way to get it done, like we can find a way to get it done just to implement. If, if cost is a problem, we can find a way to get it done. I mean, for crying out yeah. loud, we've got, we're, we're putting... We figured out a way to socially distance people and figure that all out in an unprecedented season this last year for everybody. We can figure out a way to implement shot clocks, in my opinion. So, yep, yep. <laughs> just, I just hearing that was awesome. Um, so Keyshawn, you're going. You mentioned the schools that you played for in college. Uh, talk to us about your college experience. It's unique. It's not just typical. Oh, I went to a D1 and played four years. You know that kind of thing. Talk to us about your college experience. Let's let's unbox that a little bit. Uh, did you face any adversity? Um, and what were the struggles with different transitions and stuff? Because this is real life that we want to talk about. Um, so, yeah. So I went to Cuesta Community College in San Luis Obispo my first year. Um, beautiful California. Nice. My school's right there by the beach. Uh, Christmas, I was on the beach. Like, it was a way different oh. lifestyle coming from, you know, Idaho to that. And then... Um, but I wasn't I wasn't fortunate to get uh, really recruited out of high school. I had I had a lot of schools looking at me as far as interest, but nobody ever really pulled the trigger. So and I was kind of late into I wasn't as knowledgeable about this stuff because nobody in my circle had been to where I was trying to go. And so um, for me, it was kind of one of those things where I had to learn kind of really on my own how to figure it out and go through it. So I actually went to California there they don't have scholarships for uh athletics for out-of-state guys so like if you're in state and you go to a california junior college you're you're, you're pretty good. but as when i went there wasn't anything for me so i had to go out of pocket um and you know i come i come from the very uh very hard struggle uh being poor my whole life so uh for me it was i had to pull out the loans and do that route and try to figure it out you know let my financial aid take care of uh, uh, my schooling and stuff like that. But then I did work study and, and worked at school. So that was my main source of, of paying for the extra things that I wanted, which, you know, is not really much, but, um, but as far as when I went there, it was a, it was a huge difference just going there, learning all my teammates. I think there was probably four or five Americans on my team. Everybody else was from 
uh, from overseas. We had uh, a guy from Russia. We had a couple guys from Spain, a couple guys from Greece. Um, and, and so it was a little bit different playing with guys. So from coming from Idaho, where I was playing with guys who speak English primarily to playing with guys that are looking at me crazy when I'm telling them to set a screen. You know, so that's crazy. Um, so it was definitely a big transition just in terms of um, communication uh, with these guys. It was definitely one of those things where my team there, like my first year of college, that team probably was whew, one of the best, best teams that I played on. And I, I wasn't like how my, my whole career, I was really a score. Like towards the end, I was a scorer for sure. Um, my second year, I scored a lot of points as well. But my first year, I was more of like a playmaker, only average around 10 points. But on our team, we led, I think we were first in assist in junior colleges uh, from California. So we moved the ball extremely well. It was like, I think I was a second leading scorer. Our top guy was 17. I was right there at 10 or 11. And then after that, it was like nine, eight, all the way down. But our assists were were crazy. So it wasn't, it was one of the teams where um, winning was so important that it, and everybody, everybody bought in. It was one of the most fun teams I played on because our connection was so close because we didn't understand each other. And so we had to get close so that we could learn each other better. And it really helped. Um, that that team was probably the closest team that I was on. Um, and then my second year going to Big Bang Community College, I had some of my friends, like I had a friend, Mo Galato, who was a Columbia standout, who's still playing overseas professionally. He was on my team. He kind of recruited me there because he knew I wanted to transfer. And the only reason I transferred is because I couldn't afford um, another $25,000 to go to school again, right? you know, in California. So I had to make that move from just a financial standpoint. So when I went to Big Bang Community College, I had Moga there. Um, one of one of the other Idaho standouts, uh, JJ Eli at the time went to Skyline. He was younger. He was just coming out of high school. And I was like, hey, listen, we need a PG. I want you to come with me. It'll be me, you, and Moga. And we already had like two more Idaho kids, the Meyer, uh, one of the Meyer Hoffers that played at Twin Falls, Connor. So it was like we already kind of knew each other. So we had a four or five guys that went, was going to go. And so then after I got JJ, he got a guy named Leo who played at Century with Malik Harwood, who ended up playing at Boise State. He's a super athletic guy. He came there. So it was like we have six guys that were oh, all yeah. hoopers. And then I got one of my good buddies, Osamu Egodon, to come with me. So we went to like a package deal. There was like six or seven guys from Idaho that all went to the same school, and we were drumming everybody. And so when we started playing, it was like we had probably, yeah, six or seven guys who could score 30 at any time. And so being on that team, it was it was easier for me just as a standpoint of I was playing point guard to start the season. And then I started playing the two guard because I started scoring a lot more. And then I got hurt towards the end and tried to play through injury. So I let which was one of the it wasn't a very smart decision of me to continue to try to play because my numbers was good until I got hurt. Once I got hurt, I couldn't give my full effort anymore. And so I, my numbers just started to slow down. But I wanted to win so bad that that I played through the injury. But for my career, I don't think that was probably the smartest thing to do to continue to play. But, um, you know, you, you, you roll with the punches. So that team was pretty solid uh, as far as, you know, chemistry and stuff like that. And then walking, I ended up not getting recruited. You know, only other than Division two schools, Division three, I had a couple reach out to me, NAI schools. And at the time it was D1 or bust in my mind. And so the only D1s I had had showed interest and then they had signed guys right on the signing date. So I missed, you know, opportunities to go to these other places. So I was like, well, I'm going to walk on to Idaho State and see what I can do. And so when I got there and I did that, you know, I was one of the top players there, but I didn't get an opportunity. My coach, for whatever reason, didn't respect me. Um, didn't respect my game. All my teammates did. The some of the assistant coaches did, but um, but my head coach didn't. And so, um, and, and we even had like I had an NBA guy, Sebastian Telefair. My roommate was Ethan Telefair, his little brother. Sebastian went to the NBA out of high school with mm -hmm. LeBron. He came out and, and told the uh, the coach I should be on scholarship. I should be starting all this stuff, and still just didn't get. We never saw eye to eye, and so I ended up redshirting until there was about twelve games or probably about fifteen games left in the season, and we had one win on the season. I come in and play the first two games. We win both of them. And so then um, I ended up getting my first start at BSU. We played at BSU. Um, at the time, it was Taco Bell and not Extra Mile. And so we played there. I ended up scoring the first four points and then subbed out and got told I wasn't allowed to shoot. I was shooting too much. And so I was two of two with four points, and I didn't play the rest of the half. Came in the next half, shot again, got subbed out for the rest of the game. I uh, was told I was too, shooting too much. So, um, And then next thing you know, I went from playing, starting two games, winning two, then we lost the third and then I got suspended. Um, and then next thing you know, I, you know, I was missing weeks at a time because of different things that he wanted to hold me out for. 
And so it just kind of put me in a bad spot. Um, it, it, it took the love away from me. It took my confidence away. And um, at the end of the year, I just told him, I was like, you know, I, I think that this wasn't a good fit for me based on how you treated me and based on how you uh, went about a lot of things. I don't think that this is good for me, not only as a basketball player, but as a student athlete and as a young man. And so, you know, I want to be able to, to take my my talent somewhere else. And they were they didn't want me back anyways. And so, I, you know, I before I left, I told them you can't stop what God has planned. And um, I ended up transferring. I signed two days before school started at Edinburgh University. It was looking like I wasn't going to end up going anywhere. I had had an offer from West Virginia State. Um, I didn't get the 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 uh, the papers in the mail until I had already committed to Edinburgh after because they had took they had it took too much for them to send over my scholarship papers at West Virginia State. So um, last resort, Edinburgh, Coach Bess over at Edinburgh, who's the head assistant, called me. And he said, you know, we want a guy to come here and average, you know, 10 points and, and seven rebounds. And I literally looked at him and was like, that's better than what I was just at. I was at, you know, 0.9 points per game at Idaho State where I'm getting one minute. Sorry if you hear this ding. I don't know how to turn off my, my notifications on my computer. Oh, you're but, good. You're good. Um, um, but I went from 0.9 points per game at Idaho State, averaging, I think, a minute, maybe less, and, um, and got my red shirt burnt. You know, I got it burnt from playing. And then I had our last game of the season. He put me in with three seconds left. So there was three seconds left. If I didn't play those three seconds, I would have got to keep my red shirt year. Wow. And instead, he just really just tried to, you know, kind of sabotage my career. Um, so when I had signed two days before school, hearing that 10 points, five rebounds, seven rebounds, you know, I'm like, I'm just getting to play. That's all I care about. Um, and then when I had got there, I quickly realized that there is nobody that worked harder than me. And, you know, the whole time that I was waiting from Idaho State going into Edinburgh, I had no types of, you know, life of anything playing still. But I continued to train my butt off, working out three to five times a day, you know, spending five to eight hours a day in the gym, um, eating right and doing all the right things. And then, you know, the opportunity presented itself. I ended up, you know, going to Edinburgh and then I became uh, the player of the year. I was I led the league in scoring. I was like fourth or fifth in scoring in the nation in Division Two. I was like, I think seventh or ninth in rebounds. I averaged 24 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, shot 50% from the field and 37 from three. Um, it took my team from an eight win team to 18 wins. And then we went to the final four. Um, I ended up being a national player of the year finalist. And I didn't even know until the, the ballots had already been placed. If I would have known, I probably would have won player a uh, national player of the year too. Um, but as a guard, I played one through five at Edinburgh and my coach, I went from playing literally 0.9 minutes or a minute a game to playing. Uh, I was second in the country in minutes played uh, for Division Two, So I played all 40 minutes, probably 20 games out of the year um, where I didn't even I didn't step out of the game for one minute. So for one second. And that's just, you know, just the hard work that I put in got me to that. And then after that, um, I was getting offers to play overseas. But I was in a I was in a serious relationship at the time. So I, I decided I would stay closer and try to enter the G League draft and see if I could stay within the state so I could stay closer to my relationship. Um, and that fell through. And so then when I went to the G League, I got drafted by the Grand Rapids Drive in the fourth round, 21st pick. Um, I was there, and I just kind of wasn't in basketball mode anymore. I decided to leave. Um, and on my way from Milwaukee, I was leaving, flying from Grand Rapids. I flew to Milwaukee. Um, from leaving from Milwaukee, I got a call from the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, which is the Indiana Pacers team, to continue to play. And I just told them, no, I was going to go finish my degree. And my whole entire purpose of playing basketball is to go to the NBA and use that platform to uh, to impact kids' life. I feel like God put me on this earth to to give back and to impact not only young kids and our youth, but um, adults and stuff like that. Because I've been experiencing a huge amount of adversity my entire career, uh, my entire life, um, and and I've been able to handle it and, and um, carry that weight for a very long time. And so now I try to use everything. Uh, negative that's happened in my life as a positive and try to give back and give life and give more to those around me, not only my peers from, from an adult standpoint, but the youth as well and the youth primarily trying to teach these young kids about life and about adversity and struggle and the beauty in it and how you can, you know, if you're the cards that you were dealt weren't, you know, weren't very fortunate, then you can make something out of it. You know, you just never quit, never die attitude. And so that's kind of what what was instilled in me when I went to Edinburgh. You know, I, I kept taking chances on myself. And with every game, I got better and better um, going to the G League. I was doing great. I was doing fine. But I had realized that, you know, how the business side of basketball was there 
wasn't really what I wanted to go into. And I, and I knew that I could already jump into the field of training, which I always wanted to do. I always wanted to own my own gym and, and give back to kids. And so when I seen that opportunity, I was just, you know, I, you know what, I'm going to go back, finish my degree. And after I finish my degree, I'm going to start trying to get this training stuff on the, on the go and, and see where it takes me. And next thing you know, it's, it's just blown up. Now I've been officially a year in adversity athletes. Um, I've been training now officially uh, for two two and a half years. And then, you know, overall, I've been training. I've been training since I was 14 years old between training other kids, even training uh, uh, older athletes. I was training my uh, 18 year old when I was 15 years old. So I've been training forever. So it's like it's just something that comes natural to me. I'm, I'm a very hard worker and my work ethic is uh, unmatched. So um, I just use this now to, you know, can, can continue what I'm doing. So everything that basketball taught me, I've used, you know, now in my, my business life and as well as, you know, my training life. So I dig it. It kind of goes back to what you said earlier. You don't want to hurt people. You want to help people. You That's in your DNA. That's in your blood. That's in your system. Like you want to help people and it's obvious, you know, and you're helping them by showing, like sharing your skill sets, sharing your knowledge with them and what your work ethic and showing them how to get to that next level. Uh, one thing to say right here, just listening to your story, Keyshawn, was obviously, you know, you might look at a stat line. If somebody were to pull up your career and Google it and be like, oh, at Idaho State, he's only making it. Okay, he's not. All, okay, this is the impact. I want all coaches to hear this as well. A coach can have a massive impact, good or bad, for a young man or young woman. Okay, so listen, that's, that, that's an example of it right there. Uh, a good coach, a great coach will be able to see the potential in an individual and help them utilize that and get to that next level. You know, use that individual with their potential, get them to the next level, help them elevate. Okay. A bad coach does the exact opposite where they, they, they may see the potential, but they refuse to use it. And in fact, it can damage a young person if they, if that young person doesn't have the, the work ethic and the belief in themselves like you did. So for all the yeah. athletes out there, if you're going through some adversity like that, listen to Keyshawn's story, you believe in yourself. And I like that you mentioned, you can't stop what God has planned. So guess what? I'm going to keep working. But even though it looked like you didn't have a way out, just from listening to your story, you didn't have like I, Idaho State, that would destroy a lot of people and that would be the end of their career, right? They, they'd they be kind of done. Maybe they maybe they finish their degree and just go work in corporate America, do their thing. But what you said was you continued to work. You know, you were working out, you were staying ready. Um, and then obviously the opportunity presented itself. And sometimes in life, you're going to get a small opportunity. It might be a very small window, but you better grab that and take advantage of it, which you did. And then you yeah. obviously saw the success from that. And it's STEM. Now you have all this information that like you had that whole opportunity at Edinburgh. You had, you know, it was a great opportunity playing. You've made some connections, obviously at the next level, you understand the game at a higher level now, which you can yeah. now pass on to athletes. Adversity athletes, as we're wrapping up the interview, I want to take a second then Keyshawn. Now we know you as a player and I want to talk about you as a trainer. You've obviously been training your whole life, but adversity athletes, tell us more about this what it is, uh, why you started it, um, and where people can find information about you. I want to hear about this. Let's talk about adversity athletes. Okay, so adversity athletes is a uh, is a strength and conditioning, speed and agility training that I that I have created. Um, I, it started with COVID last year when COVID first hit. I was at D one training Boise, which is a great facility. Um, it taught me a lot of what I know, um, and I've been a part of HSB Academy, which I've been running my basketball individual skills training there, as well as my. Um, my group training that I have there. But adversity athletes started when COVID had hit, um, everything was kind of put on hold. And instead of, like at first I looked at it as, okay, this is gonna be a 14, 15 day period with no work, I can relax. Mm -hmm. And it took me all about a day, maybe a day, where I sat there and I was like, this is boring. I can't, I, I can't, I can't do this. And it was driving me insane. And I looked at all the progress that my athletes had made up to that point. And they're texting me, calling me, talking about how, what are we going to do? How we're stopping? I'm writing them, you know, body weight workouts and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there like, this can't, this, this, this can't stop. Like we had so much momentum going forward. This is just not going to happen. And so I had decided I was going to start uh, training out of my garage in the back. So I got the equipment I needed, started training out of my garage. And then next thing you know, I sat there and my kids are telling me they love it. They're like, we love, you know, working out. At the, it's just, you know, it's real rough around the edges. It's, 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 it's hard. It's, you know, this, that, and the third. And then I, so I bought a goal. I put a basketball goal in between my houses here. There's a little lot just right here. And then there's the garage. And so it's like a tiny space, maybe, uh, maybe free throw line extended and down, but then narrow, narrow as the key. So I had the basketball going there. I had the weights in the garage and I just started running it. 
And then next thing you know, um, I had asked my kids, I'm like, do you guys like this? I've always had a dream of opening an adversity gym, but I started off and I was like, I wanted to change. I was like, well, it's adversity athletes because my brand is not about me. It's not about a gym. It's about the athletes. It's about you guys. And, and, and adversity is the biggest thing my entire life. I faced adversity. I lost my father when I was six, seven years old. Um, he actually passed away. He got he was a professional boxer, got hit, had brain damage and then passed away in my hands. And so seeing that as a young man, as a young boy, that was the very first thing of adversity that I had experienced. And even at that age, for whatever reason, it matured me very quickly to decide either I can sit here and mope about it or I can make something of it. And the, what my father instilled in me was a hard work ethic and, and, and a drive that nobody can stop. And so I took what I learned from that adversity when I was younger and I've, I've applied that my whole life. So anytime that I get knocked down, I always get back up. Um, and so it's the same thing when COVID had hit, it was getting knocked down, you know, not having that, that work anymore. So now it's like, what am I going to do? So the adversity had hit me in multiple areas of my life where I had to make an adjustment where I could either quit and take the easy way out and be soft. Or I could be like, you know what? It's, there's no point. I'm going to quit being soft. I'm going to go after what I, what I want in this world. And I'm going to give my best effort and, and allow my worth ethic and my confidence and my belief in myself to propel me into these things. And so when I had started adversity athletes through my garage and it asked my kids, they had all they all loved it. And so. I'd always had the idea. And so then I put it into fruition and started putting uh, moves behind it to put it to where it is now. And so now we've been at a facility over there um, by the mall, by the Boise Town Square, right over there by the Inspire uh, uh, Connect School, uh, where the gym is located out as for my strength and conditioning. And I've been there now a year going strong. So and the logo is created by me and one of my uh, one of my good friends is in our, our 1810 media business that we do, which is a media uh, business that you know, puts all these other things together, another company that I, that I own. And then this, um, this was kind of for my athletes and what they wanted. And they all, they all like the brand. They like the logo and what it represented and it represents them. And so this isn't just a brand for me. This is a brand for my kids uh, more than anything. I look at my kids and the, and the kids that I train to get to be around and their parents as family members. And so I think that kind of separates um, my business from a lot of others and a lot of other trainers and, and, and gyms. They're not only getting better physically, um, they're getting better mentally and, and I'm teaching them life, not just how to train, not just how to work out, but life, um, business, um, ethics, character, um, integrity. A lot of things that I stand by, I teach my kids. And so, you know, I have males and females that play multiple sports from basketball. I got basketball, baseball, soccer, uh, rugby. Um, I've even had a swimmer. So I've had and at all levels from division one. You know, I've had a division one soccer player. On the women's side, I've had Division One soccer players. On the men's side, I've had NFL receivers that have come out, flew out to work out. Um, I currently train Derek Austin Jr., who is Boise State's uh, stud. He's also my roommate and best friend, so that's a little easy on that connection. But um, and then all my kids that go from you know various different schools. I have one of the top volleyball players in the state of Idaho, Lainey Pugmire, that goes to Meridian High School. Um, so I, I've been very fortunate, very blessed to work with so many talented. Uh, uh, young athletes and young adults. And then I, you know, I also work with adults as well, um, just in the side of, you know, losing weight and staying fit. So I've been very fortunate and blessed and, and adversity athletes has just continued to grow. And, and it's, it's funny that it started in a garage and then it just blew up into what it is now. And so now there's gear sales. I got t-shirts that are being sold. I got my quit being soft hoodie that's been blowing up. Um, and I got more gear that's going to be coming here soon, but the main thing is, is, is it is what it stands for, exactly what it means. You know, adversity athletes is is any athlete, any any person, not just athletes, but people in general are going to face and experience adversity at some point in their life. And how you handle it is, is what helps you, allows you to grow it and can propel you forward. You know, we can either be mope about it and be sad or we can, you know, take it, experience it and, and take it head on and, and make something of it. So that's the way that, that I believe in. Um, and what I stand by and that quit being soft is something that I say all the time to my kids, because a lot of them, you know, it, it starts to get hard. The workout might be getting tough. Their circumstances in, in the sport might get tough. Their life, what's going on currently in their life might be getting tough. But um, but like I always say, you know, quit being soft. Don't get knocked down and stay down. Get back up and keep fighting. You know, keep pushing. If you want something, it's there for you. Not Nobody's going to do it for you like you're going to do it for you. And, you know, uh, one other thing that I say is nobody's going to want your dream for you. Nobody's going to make your dream a reality but you. I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to put you in a position to, to better yourself in all these realms. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you don't want it, nobody's going to want it. If you don't think that you're a star, believe that you're a star, nobody's going to. So.
you know, it starts with confidence and, and believing in yourself. And that's what I did for, for this brand. And, and it's just, you know, my kids love it and, and it feeds off of them. And, you know, we're all in this together. And that's how I look at it. It's a big family thing. And everybody that supports me is a part of the family. And, you know, you're supporting my kids because everything that I get, I put back into my kids. So, and, and I think that's what drives me is just the opportunity to impact uh, the, the youth's life and and impact adults' lives. And, and that's what I really strive to do is be the best example of, of a success as well as, uh, as a young, driven young man to, to give back to these kids and, and, and to these people and these adults, and especially because everything that I've learned and who I am as a person has come from adversity and from struggle. So I give back all the lessons that I've learned. For sure, man. Where, where can we find more about adversity? You told us where it's located, but if somebody wants to like find out more about you guys stuff, do you have a website or Instagram page? Yeah, or anything? yeah. We, yeah we got the Instagram page. It's adversity athletes underscore. That's the uh, adversity athletes page. You can also follow my personal page, which is Keyshawn underscore Liggins. Um, that's more of like my, my life stuff and stuff that I do, but the adversity athletes page is adversity athletes underscore. And that's on Instagram. Um, the website is coming. It's, it's in the works right now, but yeah, that, that Instagram page is definitely gonna have a lot more going on to it, especially headed into the summertime. Uh, I'm really going to try to focus on posting more content on there and stuff like that. Not only workouts and stuff like that, but, uh, motivational tips and, and things of that nature. So it's going to be blowing up. It's going to have a lot of resources for, for the kids around here to look at and also if they want to be a part of it just to reach out you can reach out to me through the the dms uh, on instagram or you can also have my phone number which is 208-954-7856 and um i want to be able to help as many as i can that's my goal let's go we'll put that here in the description as well so you guys can find it easily to go follow Keyshawn. what he's got going over at adversity athletes the last question as we wrap it up Keyshawn, the number one lesson you learned in sports throughout your entire career what would it be Ooh, that's tough. The number one lesson that I would learn that you learn in sports yep. is is that you can go a you can go a long way by yourself, but you can go a lot further with somebody else. I I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things uh, that I learned is that a team a team can propel you a lot further than individual success. Baller, I dig it, ladies and gentlemen. Keyshawn Liggins from Adversity Athletes. Keyshawn, we appreciate you sharing your story with us, man, and, and taking the time to just share your knowledge with the audience. And hopefully we'll get to be able to, you know, connect a little bit more. I need to get my hoodie from you, by the way, because yes, I just thought about it right now and I can't wait to rep it. Uh, guys, go check them out. We'll uh, again, link it in here in the description. And uh, Keyshawn, we'll be hearing from you later. We just appreciate you tuning in and uh, being part of the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Um, I hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. For all the listeners out there, we appreciate your support. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and family, and go give Keyshawn a follow. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.